I owe all these folks an apology. I think that by lending my cachet to this joint, I might have made it seem as if Biasin wasn't rotten to the core. That's enough, Ian. See, here's how they get you. They give you so many promotions in a short period of time that it bludgeons your capacity for critical thinking. Oh my God. So then there are doors that you don't open, things that you ignore. But mainly, he's exploiting your enchantment with these. Is there an actual concern here, or are you just... You're racing toward the extinction of our species, and you don't care. You know exactly what you're doing, but you won't stop. You can't. Welcome to part two of our Jurassic World Dominion episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our beloved patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron feed. And we also let our non-patrons know what they are missing out on. As it's been the the case with the last few uh, episodes, we're going to rush through this patron pitch because we got to talk about the live stream for The Cure. So... Just strap on. <laughs> this is going to go fast. Uh, patrons, if you're on the ground floor, uh, the, the $1 tier, the Travoltis, you're going to have access to our uh, bonus episode for the month, picked by Chess Fisher, the man behind this Jurassic World pick. Uh, he is making us talk about much ado about nothing. Point of clarification, not the Joss Whedon adaptation. This is the Kenneth Branagh adaptation, starring, if I'm not mistaken, Denzel Washington. Uh, and Emma Thompson, maybe it's it's a period piece, Alex. So that's that's really what it boils down to. Chaz wants to see if uh, if you like this one. Keanu is also in it. Keanu Michael Keaton, I think, is in it. I mean, if you're gonna go with a period piece, Kenneth Branagh is your man. You know, mm-hmm. he did Thor for the MCU. <laughs> that's that's all you need to know. Uh, amongst uh, other things, yes, <laughs> yes. So you'll have access to that. Uh, also, this month, we're recording part two of Lohan. This is going to be about her TV stuff, kind of like bridging towards the more controversial movies she made. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex, a quick refresher for those who need to catch up. What's on part two of Lohan? Yeah, so part one will be on your patron feeds right now, and part two will be uh, we'll be looking at the first time she hosted Saturday Night Live, the most recent time she hosted Saturday Night Live, some of the things sprinkled in between, uh, such as uh, she did a voiceover for an episode of King of the Hill, she was on an episode of that '70s show, just to highlight kind of when she was in the public light. When she, you know, it's kind of hard for people to grasp now the idea of TV shows where someone showed up and it was like, oh, it's that guy because, you know, everything's streaming now and whatnot. But uh, to look at Lindsay Lohan's foray into television, we'll also be discussing her appearances on David Letterman uh, because that's kind of necessary to come up before uh, the part three that we go into. So Lindsay Lohan, television appearances uh, specifically, you know, we'll be focusing on Saturday Night Live and uh, her appearances on Letterman as well. So that's what's coming up in part two of Lohan. The poster for part two is... uh it's like a TV set, but an old old TV, like the big bulky ones. And Lindsay mm-hmm. Lohan is inside, and she's kind of like screaming. She's trapped. From yes, she's yes. trapped. <laughs> she's punching up against the 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 monitor. Yeah, yes. Um, and then, of course, you'll have the cutting roof floor stuff. All the stuff that doesn't make it into the episodes. Uh, now, moving up tiers for Winonies and upwards, uh, you also get our pre recording notes. You get QVRs uh, this month. Alex, we're gonna do another dual QVR. The our, our Teen Titans has been received very very well. So now we're going with a Ryan pick, and it's the movie Bad Genius. 
I don't know anything about it other than it's on Netflix and apparently it's from Thailand. All right. So I guess we'll find out together what this is all about. And then, of course, Contrarians After Hours. That's the spin-off show where we talk about other things that we're watching, that we're reading, that we're uh, thinking about. Uh, Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? Uh, we'll catch up on some of the movies I've watched recently, but specifically, we're going to spend some time discussing uh, Bottle Rocket and Rushmore. As longtime listeners know, I have a very complicated relationship with one Wes Anderson, and um, you may be very interested to hear what I have to say about Bottle Rocket and Rushmore. Julio, have you seen both of those movies? I've seen Rushmore. I haven't seen Bottle Rocket. I am going to make an effort to watch it before we record that after hours, because... Uh, this this needs to be talked about. I saw your scores on Letterboxd. <laughs> I was shocked. Uh, do you have HBO Max? Uh, I do. Yes, Bottle Rocket's on there. I have, um, and I'll explain the story of how I came into having the Criterion for both these movies in After Hours. But I watched uh, both the Criterions of them, and the Bottle Rocket one includes the the short film that the uh, the ones based on. So, uh, yeah, many interesting thoughts to come on the the '90s entries and. Wes Anderson's filmography before it all went downhill. <laughs> he has a new movie coming out, Alex. Maybe maybe we'll go see it together now that you find a new appreciation for his work. Well, that's what we'll talk about. I don't know if I did. It's just more of <laughs> when. <laughs> all right. Well, on my side, uh, there's a new Netflix TV show called The Diplomat starring Carrie Russell. Yes, that Carrie Russell from Waitress, a very recent episode. One of our takeaways from uh, from watching that movie was that uh, for some reason, movies haven't figured out how to how to make Carrie Russell a movie star, but TV has figured out how to make Carrie Russell a TV star. And so The Diplomat is a new Eight episode series, I guess. I'm like halfway through the first season. And uh, as you would expect, Kate Russell is great in it. So I'm going to tell you about that. And then uh, just last night, and I went and saw Aaron Sorkin's adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird on stage. And nice. it was amazing. I am going to tell you about that. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the book and the movie. But really, what we're going to talk about is what it was like to watch this on stage and what it was like to watch it, I guess, with the current social political climate in the US, which I guess is like the way that we watch things pretty much you know, now, all the time. Uh, but yeah, it was it was great. And I can't wait to tell you about it. So that will be your after hours. If any of the things that we're talking about sound interesting, then check our Patreon page, patreon.com slash contrarian prime. Look at our tiers. See if you would like to join the contrarian supplements. Like new patron, Mike. Uh, I didn't see a last name for Mike, but I recognize him from uh, your Twitter feed, Alex, because I think there's a guy that was uh, really excited to hear that there's a story about you throwing up during Last Jedi on our patron feed. <laughs> yeah, I think that is... Well, I'm not going to out his Twitter handle because uh, just in case he doesn't want that out in the public eye. But yes, uh, Mike from Twitter. One of the many, many good brothers that I haven't necessarily met face to face, but always provides interesting insights. And we agree on a lot of topics when it comes to the sport of Kings wrestling and also movies as well. So uh, I'm happy to welcome him and um, be like Mike. Be cool. Give us a dollar. Be cool like Mike. There yes. you go. 
follow Mike's example. Go to patreon.com slash prime. and $10 are our respective tiers. We've given you an oversight to what you'll get access to, but that information is all on the website as well. So head on over to patreon.com slash contrarian prime. Take a look at what is offered. Start off with a buck. Take a look around, see what you like. And we know eventually you'll be updating that pledge Uh, to all of our current patrons. We love you all dearly. And as has become custom for me to say, we are taking, reviewing, and accepting applications. And now... What do you guys wanted to know? What are we doing for Livestream for the Cure? We have we have the details. So uh, first, here's the promo, and then uh, we'll reveal it all. The seventh annual Livestream for the Cure is almost here, and I hear you asking, if you're hearing my voice, what is the Livestream for the Cure and who are you? Well, I'm Nick. I'm the host of the event every single year, and we're a streaming telethon of sorts where podcasters and content creators from around the world come together every single May to help us raise money for the Cancer Research Institute. 100% of our proceeds go to immunotherapy research, to a world immune to cancer. And this year, I'm even more thrilled that we're going to be taking part in the Cancer Research Institute's Crush Cancer event. Join me starting May 17th for a special kickoff event and then tune in May 18th through the 20th for dozens of amazing guests from around the world putting on tons of fun content all to raise money for cancer research. To learn more or make an early donation, please visit LivestreamForTheCure.com. Together, we can make a difference. All right, here we are, Alex. As this drops, I think we're like five days maybe from Livestream for the Cure. <laughs> so... uh our segment is on May 20th, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's 3 p.m. Central Time. We have listeners from all over the world. Just get on Google, do the equivalency, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and just see how that works out in your country. Please join us. Be there. Be part of the audience. You don't have to donate during our segment if you don't want to. If you want to, of course, donate. Donations are going to be part of the segment like like they were last year. It's encouraged. Um, yeah, it's encouraged. But the main thing we want is just somebody. It, 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 we just want people there to to have fun, to participate. Uh, so here's the game. We're going to have, as last year, we're going to have four actors. And you, members of the audience, are going to look at those actors' filmographies and select movies from there and just throw those into the chat. And then we'll take that movie and we will give you a mini contrarian treatment. So, you know, we'll pretend that we're doing... What would we say about this movie if it was if we were doing it on the show? Uh, we will also do the Josh Gad Minute, which means that we will cast Josh Gad as one of the characters in the movie, thus making the movie better. And Alex, where did we land on the Criterion thing? Are we going to just play it by ear? when once we're there yeah i'm still unsure about that just because of like you know in the past we've done we have these ideas and then we run out of time so quickly and uh yeah i'm still undecided on the criterion thing i think maybe the criterion can be treated as like a bonus like if you or i think of something on the spot rather than you know having okay, we're not gonna commit to do to doing one for everything but if it's too good, if it's so good that we can't keep it quiet, then we'll say... Yeah, so we'll uh, say, like, we'll advertise here uh, bonus <laughs> bonus criterion artwork to come or some shit like that. <laughs> yeah. So so for those of you in the audience, just it's possible that we'll also 
brainstorm what the Criterion uh, Man, release if, of that movie would look like. If you want it bad enough, you can hop in the chat and request it, and we'll work on it. But yeah, yes. we've, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, we, we've done this the past few years, and it's so much fun. Time flies by that I'd hate for us to miss the opportunity to fantasy book uh, <laughs> a movie from uh, our list of actors and actresses. Yeah. All right. So speaking of that list, uh, here are this year's uh, actors and actresses. We're going to, so like last year, we're going to have four tiers. And so every time that we reach a new tier, uh, you know, each tier has a goal. When we meet that goal, then that means we're going to do a movie of that actor's filmography on the main feed, you know, uh, on the show. So tier number one is the Antonio Banderas tier. So you guys are going to just throw... Antonio Banderas movies our way, get a donate. If we reach $125 in donations during our segment, that unlocks the movie Original Sin 12% on the tomato meter. And we'll do a full-blown Contrarians episode on Original Sin. The next tier is the Julia Roberts tier. America's sweetheart, Julia Roberts. <laughs> That's uh, $250. If we reach $250, in donations, then that unlocks Erin Brockovich. We're going to do a full episode on Erin Brockovich, 85% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, moving up to the next tier, that's the Halle Berry tier. If we meet the goal of $375 on donations during our segment, we're going to do the Flintstones at 23% rotten in the tomato meter. Uh, y'all, y'all gotta, y'all gotta get three hundred seventy-five dollars raised during our segment. She's so hot in that movie. I want an excuse to watch it and talk about it, man. Today, while Alex and I were were discussing this, today I learned that Halle Berry was in the Flintstones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and finally, the final tier. This is our ultimate goal: five hundred dollars for the Tom Cruise tier. If we, uh, guys, if we reach $500 during our segment, I mean, that, that'll be amazing. And it's, yeah. it's for a good cause. Cancer research. Let's do it. And that would unlock Jerry Maguire, 84% certified fresh and run tomatoes. We'll do a full episode on Jerry Maguire, a movie that, that gave Tom Cruise an Oscar nomination. Arguably, Cameron Crowe's, uh, I, uh, I know, Alex, whoa, you whoa, like, whoa, 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 whoa. well, I was just gonna say mainstream wise, you know, it's like, Almost Famous might be a better movie. I don't know. I need to rewatch Jerry Maguire. But but Jerry Maguire is like, I think as far as Crow's mainstream success, I think that's where he peaked. Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah. So to recap, during our segment, you're going to be throwing movies from Antonio Banderas, Halle Berry, Julia Roberts, and Tom Cruise at us in any order. You don't have to, you know, the tiers are just for donation purposes and, you know, for unlocking those movies. But you can, if all you have are Tom Cruise movies <laughs> in your pocket, yeah, throw them our way and we'll when, we'll play with that. When you got movies like Tom Cruise in them, that's uh, a <laughs> shout, shout out to our uh, on cinema at cinema fans. All right. So that's, that's exciting stuff, guys. Livestream for the cure.com. Just mark your calendars. Make sure that you're available uh, that day, May 20th. It's a Saturday. And uh, just come join the fun. We'll, we'll raise some money. We'll, we'll have some laughs. And then uh, we'll, we'll go home better people. <laughs> and now, speaking of better people, it doesn't get any better than people that are cloned from their own mothers or something like that. Are you ready to talk about <laughs> Jurassic Park Dominion, Alex? You know why I'm here? It's quiet. I'm done with all that. Are you? Okay. 
Well, I'm sorry, Alan. Nobody gets that luxury anymore. Not even you. And you know what? You're the one I trust. This movie is why people freak out when something like The Lighthouse comes out. <laughs> I was thinking of ways to like tie this into previous episodes we've done, and that's this, you know, 50 minutes into this, and I was pining to be watching um, Civil War or Endgame or something. I was like, give me something with substance. I'm going to, I'm going to clip that little bit of audio. <laughs> you'll like, you'll like, yeah, you'll have a sound drop. We'll be talking about like fucking the casino and you'll be like, boom, boom. <laughs> currently, as I'm speaking at the time of this recording, we do not know how Chaz feels about this movie, but I feel this is like an elaborate rib, which is fine. He, he gives us money that he works for to listen to our show. So <laughs> he can fuck with us if he wants to. I feel it has to be because Chaz is a intelligent man. And um, my brother in Terminator 2 love. So I, I feel like this has to be some sort of sick practical joke. Uh, let's get the, the stats <laughs> out of the way here. Jurassic Park. I, I can't not call it. That. <laughs> That's like it's a thing of like being a kid in the 90s. Jurassic Park, Jurassic Park, like dinosaurs and shit. Playing that Genesis game all the time. Watching that VHS just constantly. And like I said, I have no nostalgia affinity memory of two or three but the Jurassic Jurassic Park is like one of the most like groundbreaking films and important movies in terms of like visual effects and shit that have been that's been released in my entire lifetime so it's very memorable Jurassic World Dominion directed by Colin Trevorrow uh who I have well I just pulled up his wikipedia page and he was a writer on rise of skywalker <laughs> i think that might be uh some sort of contractual thing oh hold on he's just got the story by credit all right so mm -hmm. that's uh he's 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 not in the clear but he's all right oh he directed <laughs> um safety not guaranteed i enjoyed that yep all right well anyway colin he was also a writer on this with emily carmichael i like emily carmichael I've uh, I met her at uh, the Austin Film Festival a few years ago, pre-COVID, before the world changed, before the world moved on. She's really cool. She um, there's a video, uh, it might have been from Vanity Fair or something, where uh, it's Emily Carmichael gets is given a prompt, and uh, and so she writes the scene like in real time. You know, you're seeing her and she's walking you through the process. She's like, okay, well, this is what you would do, blah, blah blah, and she does it for like you know I don't know five seven minutes, just like a quick scene, and then she's given notes. And she's like, okay, well, so now you take these notes and you do this. And then she's given notes. So she does, like, I think, three drafts of the same scene. And it's just, uh, you know, one, it's really cool to see her, you know, anytime that you get to see the, the, the nuts and bolts behind the scene of somebody's mind when they're creating something, it's always pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and two, she's very, you know, clearly she doesn't take herself seriously. She's, you know, you have to be charismatic to to make a video like that and make it entertaining, not, not coming across as somebody that feels a little too self-important or whatever. And, uh, and three, like what she's writing is good. You know, it's like, I mean, it's not great. She's just given zero notice. And then she comes up with a scene, but it's like, you're like, Oh yeah, this person writes as opposed to, you know, you give, you, you play that same exercise with somebody that, that is not a writer and you come up with a video that just puts you to sleep. So, so she was, I, I remember I saw that video. Then I saw she had a panel at the, uh, Awesome film festival. So I went, I saw her, and you know, she was just as charismatic and insightful when she was 
speaking at that panel. And then I saw her name on the credits here. And I was like, hmm. What went wrong? Uh, <laughs> I mean, studio interference. I heard that Jeff Goldblum improvised the hell out of his scenes in this movie. That In that kind of that same vein, there was several years ago, a, in the wrestling world, a story that kind of circulated this guy named Drew McIntyre, who main evented a WrestleMania against Brock Lesnar. Sadly, it was at the height of COVID and no one was in the arena, so no one will really remember it. But he, um, the lead into that was the Royal Rumble in Houston. He talked about... He watched Brock Lesnar. The Royal Rumble is a match with 30 different guys in it. And Brock, his part of the match was the first half. So he's going to be in there for like the first 16 or 17 guys. And kind of what you're talking about. And Drew McIntyre is not a rookie. He's been for like 15 years in the business. He said Brock just kind of was there with like everybody else and like laid out how the match was going to go. And said like it was kind of like watching, you know, he was like, holy fuck, this guy knows like more than all of us, like, you know, explaining uh, what the process is of putting a match together. So that, you know, similar, both fake Um, (laughs) characters by Michael Crichton, of course, budget of between 165 to 264 million. You know, uh, typically we just rely on Wikipedia for some of these stats. We'll we'll deep dive for the the bigger ones, but I, I always love when there's a disparity of 100 million dollars like between the budget of like, uh, how much was it really? It made How a, much did they pay Omar Sy? That's a big question mark. Not enough. Not enough. <laughs> uh all three of these modern ones made they broke the billion mark. This one made the least of all three of them, though. There was, I think, I mentioned the first one was one point six. The uh, Fallen Kingdom was one point three, and this was one point oh oh four. Premiered in Mexico City on May twenty third of twenty twenty two, and was released in the United States on June tenth of twenty twenty two. Like its immediate predecessors, the film was a financial hit and grossed one billion worldwide, making it the third highest grossing film of twenty twenty two. The third film released in the aftermath of the COVID nineteen pandemic to gross one billion, and the fourth film in the franchise to gross one billion. All right, what do we say? Is it twenty nine percent? Yes, twenty nine. All right. So what? Who? How? Why did people like this, Julio? We have a few fresh quotes. We're going to start with Emily Carmichael. Just kidding. We're going to start with uh, Kevin L. Lee from Film Inquiry, who says, Jurassic World Dominion is far from where we started in 1993, but I believe the world is big enough to have both kinds of blockbusters. It's an extremely flawed but admirable effort, full of dumb, cheesy moments, plenty of action, and really cool dinos. There are some cool dinosaurs. And the world is big enough for smart blockbusters and this type of blockbuster. Ooh, okay. You like dumb movies too, Alex. No, no, Don't no, no. Like- no, no, no. I do like dumb movies, and that's that's perfectly fine. But like, we're talking about two different things here. I think, and, and we'll we'll talk about this once I'm done with the quotes. But I I think that it's worth exploring the idea that some people, and, and this is not wrong or right. This is just the way it is. That some people might think that my hold the Jurassic Park franchise to a higher standard. You know, it's like, this is supposed to be smarter than your average blockbuster. It's supposed to be smarter than, you know, Fast and the Furious. And then as the franchise has gone on, it's become more like Fast and the Furious. You know what I'm immediately going to say? Because it's uh, a contemporary of this, that um, that first Jumanji with The Rock. 
There's mm-hmm. a classic example of just a dumb blockbuster, and that's f- perfectly fine. It doesn't piss me off like this movie does. <laughs> yeah, but would you say that you have a stronger attachment to the original Jurassic Park versus the original Jumanji? At this point, no. Uh, the first Jurassic Park lives in my conscience because it's something I lived through. It was like a big a happening, as it were. I'm trying to think of something I could equate it to. It's like, um, I don't know. T2? No, quit, quit it. <laughs> it's like the Sega. But it was the Sega you know, Dreamcast. Like I, okay, I, I lived through it. I enjoy the Sega Dreamcast, uh, but it's not something that like it's a hill I die on, or you know, it doesn't affect my judgment of other things. Where like Jurassic Park is the same way. Like I lived through that. I really liked that movie when I was a kid. I played the video game a lot. Um, I've watched it a lot since then. I know that you know. Na, 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 na. I know the score and stuff, <laughs> but like not in the sense to affect my judgment elsewhere. T. I, I, I now see what you're saying. I thought you were just trying to piss me off. Yes, T. Two did affect my judgment of Terminators down the line, and much like this movie, there were bad Terminator movies made, and I should be allowed to say they're bad. Um. I'm not sure any as bad as this, but <laughs> wow, <laughs> how quick they forget <laughs> the first trans. Like- the first transform. No, I, I just you got me all fucking worked up now. Yeah, <laughs> the first Transformers is another example of like a good dumb blockbuster, and I bring that up because it's as long as this is. It's you know it's over two hours, and um, you know I didn't have an investment in that property at all, and I still I told you i watched it again recently that's a solid three-star movie uh they got bad but the problem is there's only so much you can do with this shit continue on because we're burning through a lot of material right here i don't think you understand how bad it is being trapped you're not trapped here we just don't trust people no you just don't trust me all right next wenlei ma from news.com.au says Jurassic World Dominion is an aggressively fine and mostly enjoyable romp that does some things well and other things less so. It's the epitome of just okay. <laughs> that's a that's backhanded much, compliment. That's pretty much how I felt about uh, Jurassic World, but a little more positive in the sense of sometimes it's okay to just be okay. I mean, she gave it a red tomato. I would give Jurassic World a red tomato. That's... I, I don't know why, why I didn't go there right away. That's that's fine. This is not. <laughs> uh, all right. Next, Alan Adams from The Main Edge says, even if the movie as a whole isn't good, and it isn't, not really, it doesn't matter because it definitely delivers on the dinosaurs. And hey, if you're not down for various flavors of dino action, then what are we even doing here? What are we even doing here, Alex? <laughs> Just enjoy the dinosaurs and, and stop complaining. But the dinosaurs what- aren't, there's they're Michael in this man. The dinosaurs are in the movie for 19 minutes, <laughs> and uh, and the locusts are Corey. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Who gives a shit, man? <laughs> you, well, you love Corey. Well, the difference is that's a good movie, and this is not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna close with Riz Bowen Jones from Jump Cut Online, who says. Jurassic World Dominion doesn't tarnish the original's legacy and delivers a mostly satisfying conclusion to this new trilogy. It's not Jurassic Park, but it's no The Rise of Skywalker either. Come on. Yes. It, it's yeah. not The Rise of Skywalker. No, 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 no. It's not. I was trying to think of like the what my response to that would be in terms of like agreement. But yes, it's 
nothing is the rise of skywalker it's not and it's i picked that one mainly because i did want us to touch briefly on the the colin trevorrow career it's just so fucking weird so he does uh safety not guaranteed right which is like a an indie sci-fi rom-com right i think you uh-huh. like it more than i did but it's it's you know it's an indie voice and then he was given the keys to the kingdom i guess i don't remember what came first jurassic world or or him being appointed the writer director of uh, rise of skywalker you know, when they announced they're making three new Star Wars movies, they're like, okay, the first one's J.J. Abrams, the second one is Ryan Johnson, the third one is going to be Colin Trevorrow. And people are like, who's Colin Trevorrow? And I don't remember if they were saying Colin Trevorrow from Safety Not Guaranteed or they were saying Colin Trevorrow from Jurassic World. It makes more sense that it would have been, you know, him from Jurassic World. But then he makes a movie that is reviled. Uh, it just bombed with audiences and with critics. The Book of Something. Henry. Not the Book of Eli. The Book of Henry is what it is. The Book says. of Henry. Yeah. Yeah. And Naomi allegedly, Watts. yeah, that gets him kicked out of Star Wars. <laughs> That's this is all, you know, rumors. I don't know. I'm sure there are people that will tell you no. Conjecture. He just left. Conjecture. Well, yes. that's what you get for trying to make a drama with Sarah Silverman in it. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I know I do have it on our list of potential movies that we might do someday on the show because it's it's really rotten and it's kind of infamous now because you know allegedly is the movie that cost this guy his chance of uh doing rise of skywalker and also in a way that's one of the reasons why jj abrams ended up doing rise of skywalker so there is out there on the internet the wonders of the internet there is the treatment the original treatment that colin trevor wrote for rise of skywalker and i haven't read it i just heard about it supposedly it's different enough from the movie that we got that uh, you know, a lot of people say, oh, he, we would have been better off if he had stayed and he had made, you know, episode nine. But at the same time, there's enough elements in it that are in common with the movie that we ended up getting that he still gets story credit, even though he didn't get, you know, full screenplay credit. So I guess the takeaway is that everybody for a while, I guess people were feeling, they're like, oh man, Trevor got screwed because they, you know, he he missed out on his big Star Wars opportunity. But then he's like he's made three Jurassic World movies that crossed a billion dollars. So I think he's okay. He, and he's not associated with episode nine, which is actually a good thing. Uh yeah. I mean anyone whose name is on that movie should rot in hell and burn forever. Uh. <laughs> but anyway. With that 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 Star Wars uh, digression out of the way, I feel like maybe I'm I'm gonna cut this movie a little more slack than you, and I wonder if I'm also influenced because maybe I do have a stronger connection to the first Jurassic Park than you do because I, well, obviously I was a little older. I was like, then how old were you when you watched this? You didn't watch it in theaters, did you? I don't remember. I remember the V like. The VHS box art, just that logo burned mm-hmm. into my fucking skull. But you grew up with it, basically. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was, so I was a teenager when it came out, and it it was a big deal. I know I've mentioned this uh, tendentially on the show before, but Jurassic Park was one of those movies that, it might have been the first movie, or one of the first, that opened 
in Peru at the same time as it opened in the States. Because before oh, then, shit. you know, we were just getting them really delayed. But it was such a big thing. It's a big deal. And people were trying to uh, encourage uh, audiences to, you know, go to theaters instead of uh, just pirating movies. So it was, a, it, it was a big event, Jurassic Park. I didn't see it in theaters. <laughs> I did get a bootleg and I wore that bootleg out you know it was just like my brother and i and it was not even good quality but even with it looking like shit by you know the standards that that they should look like it was still impressive you know i could get why people were blown away by the dinosaurs like oh this is better than anything we've ever seen before you know the action sequences were exciting i liked the characters yeah i saw that movie so many times I, i i think that my my first impression watching this movie was that I I had a lot riding on the fact that we got to see it got a little bit like what I said in Constraints Corner that we got to see an older Alan Grant an older Ellie Sadler an older Ian Malcolm and that part of the movie which unfortunately is just a third of the movie <laughs> that kept me interested I guess my, my point and then I'll, I'll, I'm passing it to you but my point is that through a lot of this movie I'm like, you know what? This is worth it for them. I I just like seeing these older versions of the characters, and I was kind of surprised at the how much people dislike this movie. Because if you, I don't know how aware you were of it, but you know when this movie came out, it just the internet did its internet thing, and people were just up in arms and saying it sucked and saying that it it was, you know, the worst thing ever. And and I was watching. I'm like, oh, but but it has those characters from before, and they're not. Uh, it's doing something with them, you know? It stops doing anything with them by the time you get to the end. I think that the, the third act, once everybody comes together, this movie becomes just really generic. But for a good while, it had me hooked just because of them. And then, you know, on the other side, Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard, I mean, they're fine. I I think they're they're charismatic actors. But I think that the, the, for me, the, the big hook is the, the original trio. Look at you. Look at me. And look at you. Wow, this is so trippy. You look like you're doing well. Well, I got five kids, you know, whom I adore more than life itself, so uh, expenses add up. You, Alan, are you, are you, uh, you have any family or? Good for you, Julio. I'm happy you like him. Dude, Bryce Dallas Howard sucks, man. She. Oh, wow. <laughs> dude, she sucks. Like, I think. I don't think uh, it wasn't even for our podcast, but the best Bryce Dallas Howard movie performance wise we've covered of hers is yep. the village. Check um, out that uh, episode of movie reviews and 20 Q's where Sam, Alex and I just gushed over her performance there. Yeah. She's not good in this. She's not good. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sure you're a wonderful young lady. You're very pretty, but like, well, okay, Alex, is she not good or is she just that the writing is really bad? Okay, I've seen it. I, I I am ready to say I've seen enough stuff with her that I don't think she's a good actress. So what, you didn't um, even like her in the first Jurassic World? No. Oh <laughs> wow. Okay. Oh my job. Uh. <laughs> okay, hold on. She was um she was in fifty fifty. She was good in that. Yeah, I remember that. I'm I'm going through her filmography now because yeah, like I said, it's not like you know. Uh, Samuel Jackson, Christopher Walken, where she's been in a thousand things. Um, but God, she was awful in Terminator Salvation, which we've done on this as well. Not good in Twilight. 
uh, yeah, I'm sorry. It's just not in the cards. Uh, and when it comes to these, another thing is, man, leading man, Chris Pratt, fuck off. Like, um, <laughs> I can do, I've only seen, there's three now, right? Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh-huh. I've seen the first one. I can do that because he's a goof. Right. Like he's, he's, um, he can save the day. He can get the girl, but he's like a goof. And so that I can do here where he's, uh, you know, he's got like the, he's almost in parts got that Eastwood, like looking through his eyebrows, like, <laughs> Ugh, and it's just like, f- come on, man. This is, it's Andy Dwyer. Come on. And, <laughs> And that's I'm just saying that because you know how much I love Parks and Rec. He's he's great, and he's awesome. What's that movie we like? The Five Year Engagement. Like, is the the sidekick best friend? He's a lot of fun, but leading man, straight man, Chris Pratt is just like come on. So no attachment there. Um, Omar Sy is the fucking man. He should have been the lead in these movies. For the five minutes that he's in this movie. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm grouping together this and Jurassic World right now. Okay, so, okay. you know, a lot of that goodwill carries over from his previous projects. But even like in uh, Days of Future Past when he was Bishop, I'm like, God, he's he's very magnetic. And he has like, this is something that could so easily be construed as a, an insult, but it's not to say someone has a unique face because Pretty people, if you see enough of them, kind of all look the same. And Omar Sy is a good-looking cat. Don't get me wrong, but like his features and stuff, he's kind of got a little. His eyes are a little bit bigger and stuff. He's just got a. He has a unique, you know, look, and that's something you you would think you'd want more of. But not here to talk about Omar Sy. But God bless you, man. I'm glad you get paid, brother. I'm glad you did in these movies. <laughs> they brought him back. I mean, you know that this is what what puzzles me. Maybe it doesn't. I, I they don't brought know. him back for like a scene in this movie. But he could have played the role of the pilot. You know yeah. what I mean? Like they they introduced this brand new character that really I thought you I thought you were fucking with me in the first half of that character's not in the second one. Okay. I to be fair, maybe I've forgotten, but no, I I I I'm pretty sure that she's she's not. Because she she obviously she was meeting um Owen and Claire for the first time here. So and she doesn't seem to know anybody else. So, no, I'm pretty sure she's not in the second one. And and see, that character could have been Omar Sy. It could have been Omar Sy just, you know, flying them there and out. That whole sequence in Malta, I wasn't kidding. I literally, like, exclaimed to the TV, what is this, the fucking Matrix? Like, <laughs> yeah, and she wasn't in uh, Fallen Kingdom, so that was the first. It was just like, what are we fucking doing here? This whole movie is... Very few interesting things, and then the things that are interesting, it's like, nah. Like that idea of like a black market with dinosaurs, mm-hmm. it's like, that's pretty fascinating. Well, that's that's something that I wish, you know, I it, it's what you're saying. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff. And okay, nostalgia aside, which is- I yeah. do not, do you give a single shit about the locusts? Only in the sense that that's what, what my favorite characters in the movie, or the only characters I care about in the movie, care about. You know, it's like Ellie Sadler cares about the locusts. So I'm like, all right, I, I I think it's really weird. I mean, I think that it's it's a completely separate movie from the dinosaur movie, right? Like this movie about a a, a scientist, an evil scientist, that's trying to control the the food supply by by creating its own brand of of plagues. It, that is 
interesting. It seems like a really weird story to drop legacy Jurassic Park characters into. It's weird that they couldn't find like a better way to integrate them into the story, but but that's fine. I mean, I think that you have that movie, which what it has going for them is the characters. And then you have the movie of uh, Owen and Claire going to rescue their adopted daughter. And that movie sucks. Like, the- <laughs> Dude, who gives a fuck about that little girl? That like- is, look, how you feel about Bryce Dallas Howard's performance is how I feel about this teenager's performance. And I'm going to give her the benefit of that and say it's a writing because they they really give her just like the worst lines. That's the AI doing a angsty teenager dialogue and that's what they give her. And it's like, well, there's only so much you can do. But uh, that character was just grating and having her drive so much of the story was just like, eh, I don't care. Uh, and then... The macro story is what I really wanted to see. I'm like, all right, we finally have a world where the dinosaurs are out there. <laughs> They've become part of our ecosystem. That's what you know we've been building to for, I guess, five movies now, six. Ever since the beginning, you know, the first Jurassic World, the first Jurassic Park ends with uh, as they're flying out uh, away from the island. I think that you know. Grant looks out the window of the helicopter and he sees the pterodactyls flying. And I always felt that that was an indicator that, you know, you can't keep them in the island. They're going to eventually they're going to escape. And then every movie since then at some point has kind of like toy with the idea of like what happens, you know, the lost world, they bring the T-Rex to New York and, um, and so on. So it finally happens here and it's mostly background for a story. That's a lot less interesting. When when you open with like the the now this video, which is really funny <laughs> that they they use a now this video to catch us up on what's going on in the world, uh, <sighs> yeah. Uh, but I thought that was cool. It was like yes, you know, this is something that I haven't seen before. It's like okay, there's dinosaurs out there, and there are people that are trying to save them, and there are people that are trying to exploit them, and yeah, eventually we see that black market, and I like the the those few shots at the beginning where you can see that people are still kind of like in awe of seeing dinosaurs just walking along uh, among them. Um, the one good moment that Maisie has in this movie is when she runs into these workers that have stopped whatever it is construction they're doing because there's a a giant dinosaur that's just there and they're all just watching like like you would watch a dinosaur. <laughs> it's like, what, what is this? What am I doing? And they, they just look... Uh, completely uh and all and so that's cool i I wanted more of that but then it's just basically they they spend most of the movie in this compound and it's just pretty generic you're far more forgiving of this movie than you should be my friend um you don't think that that's a compelling idea the idea of having dinosaurs finally out there in the world (laughs) that the world has changed because of that the idea of only god forgives is interesting doesn't mean it's a good movie this like, movie's it, better than Only God Forgives. It is not. No, Only oh God Forgives. Oh, my forg- God. Like, <laughs> dude, I, like, movies like this exist to make because me remember. Well, that's part of it, but, like, I'm not kidding. Movies like Jurassic World Dominion exist to remind me that movies like Only God Forgives have merit. Uh, <laughs> in the sense of, like, I don't like that movie uh, at all, as anyone who's ever listened to this knows, but, like, Wes Anderson is another great example. It, it, Royal Tenenbaums, not for me. Darjeeling Limited, not for me. Moonrise Kingdom, I think, was the last one I I gave a shot. Not for me. I watched that, and I'm like, 
Uh, I don't like this. And it becomes part of my personality that I joke about how much I don't like Wes Anderson. <laughs> or like uh, Neon Demon. You know, since I'll just talk about two different directors here. I'm just like, fucking sucks. I hate it. And then I watch this and I'm like, okay, those movies have merit. A filmmaker wrote a script of something he wanted to see come to life and put his heart and soul into it and then saw through how he wanted it to be made. Was it for me? No, but I have infinitely more respect for that than watching something like this that is, well, this doesn't make sense. Fuck it. Who cares? People are going to watch it anyway. And I, I don't, don't get me wrong. I don't disagree. Don't get me wrong. When you're making a billion a pop, you don't have to care. But that's why I don't go see movies like this. Um, and why I think this was an elaborate rib by Chad. He's, you know, he's... Uh, that face Jim Carrey makes in Dumb and Dumber when he pours the X-lax, X-lax into uh, <laughs> <laughs> Harry's c- coffee or tea or whatever. Just <laughs> Honestly, Ian, that's bullshit. Can I offer you guys some Joe? Uh, Tyler, please, two cappuccinos? I don't want a cappuccino. I don't disagree. I mean, I, I guess I just, I just want to clarify. I... I, I but it's almost like two separate things, you know. It's it like, is. It is. It's. It's. We're talking about art house movies, right. quote unquote, versus blockbusters. But I try, and the older I've gotten, I try to have like the way I view movies more aligned. Even though you know you can't always do that, you have to understand what something is for what it is. But man, there's something that I think to what you said that's subconscious, and I'm coming to like accept it now. That like maybe I judge this through a like with the Terminator franchise or, you know, that, that I might not be aware of it, but just cause I hold the first one, such a high pedestal, maybe it could be that, but you know, it's, it's so artificial and so, so not interesting. Like it's a movie about dinosaurs that dinosaurs aren't around for most of the movie. It, it, it's okay. Here's the biggest thing. Our friend of the podcast, Reed, his nephew, really likes dinosaurs he's a little boy or he did at one point in time i don't know if he still does i have absolutely no capacity to understand how a kid could watch this movie and get anything from it uh the first one jurassic world even i could because mm-hmm. you know you got that big fucking uh, shamu dinosaur that comes up and rah, 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 like eats people and shit that's awesome well it's also a, a better story overall i mean it's pretty simple it's like oh I mean, it's, it, it, it just it's like you said it's disney world just gone bad okay well there's not much to it i mean you you can take i mean every movie is one it's, it's a sentence that you elaborate on but uh but, but that's the thing this movie isn't like in I, this, but, but like, what are we talking about? You said T two. You shouldn't have brought that up. You fucked up, Julio. You played yourself <laughs> by bringing that up. This exists in the same world as that. When you want to say, you know, if you don't want to use, you know, what I'm talking about with Wes Anderson and uh, Riff and like T two is a summer blockbuster. I agree. Okay, I will tone it way down for you. I already said Transformers. We'll go Armageddon is a summer blockbuster that is so much more fascinating and interesting than something like this. And like I was just saying with kids, how can a little kid watch this and get excited about this? I, I know they did because this movie made a billion dollars, but like I, 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 who fucking cares about these locusts? And then even the scenes where we get the dinosaurs, even those, it, there's nothing interesting. Like even like, you know, three, I, I'll stray away from the first Jurassic Park. 
three had that you know the pterodactyls and shit okay i'll go in the same franchise jurassic world that scene where they're in the same trilogy excuse me the little pods and rolling through the fields mm-hmm. and then like you know the, the the one that escaped like rams into him and then is trying to pick the thing up with its mouth like that's cool that's memorable it is so generic escape scenes in this like nothing memorable happens with the dinosaurs the, the, the only thing I, I remember I is but the, the the guy that gets eaten off the streets in Malta, that that, <laughs> that, that part, I was like, <laughs> it's like fuck yeah, but like that's all it is. Is oh, we're running away because something's chasing us. You know, it's it's a. I meant we were talking about the video game earlier. It's a platformer where all you do is just jump and run away from shit. Like it, there's there's just there's nothing to this movie. I'm sorry. No, I, I I agree, but I where I give it credit, and it's just I'm mostly being a devil's advocate because you know I don't think this is a good movie, but. Uh, you you say Jurassic Park three, Jurassic Park three. I think it's like you know it's a an entertaining movie to watch. Probably about as entertaining as this when I was watching it. Only it's shorter, but I could be mistaken because I've been watching it a while. But I don't think Jurassic Park three does anything with the idea of dinosaurs other than oh well now you're gonna see the pterodactyl you know. But that's kind of like a an attraction like a an amusement park attraction. Not like and nothing to do with it as far as like world building or story. And this movie. Maybe maybe they just accidentally stumbled into it because of the way that the story has progressed. But to me, like the idea that this movie is taking place in the in a world that is unlike what we've seen in the franchise before, that at least makes me give it like a little bit of slack. You know, be like, all right, it's it's not like the other Jurassic Park movies or even the Jurassic World movies, because there is that's the concept of the dinosaurs out there in the world. They finally did it, you know? And the idea that humanity just can't stop itself and they keep fucking around and they keep doing, you know, I'll, that is enough. Now, does the movie go completely off the rails and forget about that or does nothing with that concept? Yes. But the fact that it has at least that germ of an idea makes me, you know, be interested in it for, I don't know, I think it was maybe like an hour before I just realized that we were not going to do anything, you know, that there wasn't going to be anything good. I agree. It's like super generic once it, once <laughs> they get together. sweetheart. I realized there was going to be nothing good. So I'm going to spend an hour talking about the good in this movie. <laughs> well, because you're already talking about the bad. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> and, and I agree with all the, with all the bad stuff that you're saying. I mean, it's. It's not. It's not a good movie. It is a waste of potential, and it's a a waste of like good talent. Like you know, I, I think that you know all those actors. I I like Bryce Dallas Howard more than you do, and and I think that serious Chris Pratt is okay. Like I, if this was the first time I was seeing him as as a character, I think that I would just be completely underwhelmed because he has nothing to do in this movie. But if you're building up from having watched him, and you know the first Jurassic World and you're like, okay, he's uh he's kind of found his soul, I guess. Because I think his his thing in the first Jurassic uh world was that he didn't want anything to do with humans, right? Like he's just he's all about his job, his dinosaurs, his raptors, and and now he has like a relationship. He has an adoptive daughter. I mean there's like like I said, there's seeds of good ideas all throughout this movie. But they either don't do anything with them or they they just resolve them, resolve them in the most generic way, and that is, I guess, that makes it worse because it makes it more disappointing than if it was just a bad movie that was a bad movie with no potential. Uh, but this is worse. It's like there was something there that they could have expanded on, and instead they didn't, you know, or they did in the worst possible way. 
This um, what this movie definitively proved to me is yeah you can only run away from dinosaurs for so many movies and it doesn't matter how many <laughs> how many new characters or ideas you introduce in if you're gonna keep it the way this is where it's all I guess that's the whole point you know I brought up the Friday the Thirteenth thing and then I was Star- about to ask you it's like well how many how many different ways can you run away from Jason well, or Michael well, in the case of Jason. When they just made him like a supernatural zombie, it's whatever. It's like Star Wars. It's in outer space. We don't know what's out there. You can make up whatever the fuck you want to. And yes, I know this is about dinosaurs, but uh, it just seems like there's only so much you can do. And following the trajectory of it, again, these all made a billion dollars. But it seemed like the response to Jurassic World was pretty positive. I was going through Letterboxd and the people I follow, and they all had fairly favorable reviews. And then I checked Fallen Kingdom and this, and it was just like a dramatic fall off. And and that's a lot of things. It's a a lack of caring, and it's a lack of uh, pride in what you're making. Um, not necessarily from a visual perspective, fr- from a storytelling perspective. And we didn't even bring it up. I, I couldn't even be uh, facetious about it in the first half. I This movie could have been good time after the fact, and I wouldn't have cared. When they had that line about Laura Dern saying he slid into my DMs, I was just like, I'm, I'm done. It's I was like, pretty cringy. Yep. It, it's like... <laughs> I, I think that that was the first time I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> it, I, was, I was pretty like I was trying to give it as much. I was trying to give it a wide berth as far as like what they were doing. I'm like, OK, some of it is clunky, but maybe we'll that, get to a good place. That's uh, this is your X-Men Origins Wolverine. Like the first time I watched that, <laughs> I kept trying to like make excuses. And and then when um he pulled the claws out in front of the mirror when that scene wasn't done, I was just like, oh, boy, we're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so the dialogue's bad there's just characters i don't care about the the thing that made me mad was how good the last like three minutes of the movie are and that like when it was over i was just kind of like oh and then it's like nope 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 don't let it get you because <laughs> that that is true for anything a song a movie a tv show a football game um a date anything you got a fucking good ending. You know, people overlook what's happening. Um, but there's something I, else. That That is something, actually. And, and we brought it up in the corner. And I think that is uh, that's something worth pointing out, even though I don't know how intentional it was. But just the idea that you, or at least I, stop seeing the, the dinosaurs as these soulless, completely unsympathetic monsters. And I was actually conflicted about them getting hurt <laughs> i think that that is that makes it more interesting than your average monster movie I, again they don't do anything with it and i and that makes you think that this was not intentional i think that maybe there's a chance that trevorrow and the screenwriters and the people in production whatever they did not realize that they were maybe pushing the the the, the sympathy towards the dinosaurs a little too hard and so that makes it hard not to care for like you know all of them because you I don't know. I just had a hard time not seeing them as exploited animals, even when we're supposed to be afraid of them, you know, in the in the big sequences. And that's that's interesting, but it's also something that doesn't work. <laughs> so I, I feel like I need to point it out and give it props, but while also acknowledging that it ends up going nowhere. You know, because yeah, you're right. You get to the end and you're like, oh, there's a connection, you know? But 
what does it have to do with the rest of the movie? How do we get here? You know, what what how does it relate to like all the other dinosaurs and the rest of the world? And it, it just it's not there. Yeah, and I I do want to make it clear when I say ending, I literally mean like the last three minutes. It's not like the third act is good. It's just no, the third act is the worst part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, at every level. Complete systemic corruption in, in the executive ranks. Systemic corruption. Got that right that down. You had me for a minute, like, thinking I was too harsh on the movie, and now I'm realizing I'm not harsh enough on it. Because <laughs> <laughs> the the raptor had the, the baby. It's the exact same thing. All they need is that. They, they can just take the gene from that. They don't need that stupid little kid running around. Yeah. I, d- I don't understand the... the- yeah, I don't understand what other than, oh, well, we need to have a kid. Like, that's because I guess that's a staple of the franchise, right? There's always like the precocious kids. And uh, I don't think that they've ever been good in any of the movies, but I, I, I guess they're part of the formula. So you just kind of have to have them. But you're right. You, you don't need the kid. You don't, it's so clunky. It's so unlike the rest of the, <laughs> the movie, the rest of the, what the franchise has been building about, you know? It's like, oh, well, they cloned the dinosaurs, so this makes sense that they would clone people. Yeah, but it doesn't really belong. So I I don't like it. And I couldn't even tell you, you know, oh, was the performance. Like, okay, let's say you put uh who's who's a young actress that that we like that would have pulled that off? Um Hit Girl. What's Hit Girl's name? Chloe Moretz. <laughs> she's she's like twenty five now, isn't she? No, no, but but you know, let's let's use a time machine and let's pretend that, you know, they cast Chloe Moretz when she was ah, okay. younger. Yeah. And it's like, all right, can she still do, can she do anything with what the, what they give her in this movie? I don't think so. <laughs> I think that I was still, you know, it was still not working. I would still wish that it wasn't in the movie. Look, Alex, <sighs> you, you got it right at the very beginning of this. This is, don't compare it to Wes Anderson. Don't compare it to T2. It just Avengers Endgame, Avengers Infinity War. Better, you know? better movies than this. Yeah, I agree, and that's that's really the the thing. You know, it's like that was the 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 idea with Infinity War and Endgame. It was like, oh, we've had these characters, and we're gonna bring them together, and they're gonna go on an adventure, and it's gonna make sense. You know, it's like it makes sense how they get together. It makes sense why they get together, and when they get together, it's fun. And here, it's like. We have these characters that we want to get together. It doesn't make sense <laughs> why they end up together. And once they get together, it's so generic that it could have been any character, really, like, interacting. And, and you know, I know I appreciate, like, the MCU movies more than you do. But in the end, it's like, well, they're blockbusters, you know? And I wouldn't compare Endgame to, uh, I don't know, Moonrise Kingdom or whatever. But I would feel <laughs> comfortable comparing it to Jurassic World. And I would say Endgame is better. Uh, I think that there is... Crowd policing blockbuster filmmaking that is done at a much better level than than this. And I agree. But there's also that type of filmmaking that's done even worse than this. <laughs> yes. So I guess the other thing that affected my experience watching this movie was that I expected it to be so much worse just because of the discourse around it on the internet. You know it's bad, or you know that it's it's the feelings are strong when I'm not even looking for it and I'm aware of it. And that's, you know, I just remember Jurassic World Dominion. It was just like a punchline nonstop for months. And so I watched and I was like, yeah, this is not good, but I mean, calm down. <laughs> there's there's so much worse. So a few things. 
Yes, I am on board with what you said, and I didn't directly want to or mean to, excuse me, compare these this movie to Moonrise Kingdom or anything like that. But just saying, like, sometimes you have to watch shit to make you appreciate things you don't like, or even that you know, that's music and stuff. Listen to something, and be like, okay, uh, I'm listening to this, uh, you know, soft rock album that somehow makes me appreciate this rap album more just because like of the work that goes into it or the passion or whatnot versus just greed. And um, like I said, I do, I, I'm trying to figure out like a universal system, uh, but that's kind of what we talk about in here. There is no universal system. I'm basically at a point where I just kind of judge movies on the universal scale of Alex <laughs> and like what I like. <laughs> and I've I've tried to like make that closer together to where I can talk about some, you know, blockbusters in the same vein as like great dramas and stuff, but it's you know, that's that's what I that's me and just like something internally I work on, but you can't judge all things on the same scale, so that's exactly right. The summer blockbuster. There's no place written that they can't be incredible all-time movies, a la T2. And the problem is that movies like this will continue and as much fun as it'll be for you and I to talk on our podcast about them, it just we're going to get further and further and further away from caring because that's even like... I feel Jurassic World was a fluke that they lucked into in terms of quality. Again, it wasn't a great movie, but I enjoyed it. Whereas, like, you know, some of these franchises that have continued, you reach these points of, like, it's passionate. It may not be what you want, but it's a passionate attempt at making something. The the, the recent Halloween trilogy obviously was very divisive amongst fans, but it clearly came from a place of, like, passionate filmmaking. Mm-hmm. I Yeah. Yeah, I I know it was a rehash of A New Hope, but The Force Awakens came from a place of like, let's fucking do this. Same thing with The Last Jedi. This ain't as bad as Rise of Skywalker, but it felt a lot (laughs) like it. And so that's basically where I'm coming from. Uh, I do want to call out, I was angry at the part where they had the T-Rex walk past the fountain to recreate the logo of the movie. Uh, that, (laughs) That made me furious. But yeah, other than that, the dialogue's just incoherent and it just, you know, it feels like a, a missed opportunity. And I you know this is coming. I already said it's long. I'm not kidding. That that tweet I sent to where I tagged the contrarians account in it, mm-hmm. I was I was like, all right, yeah, I gotta at least be an hour into this. I'm gonna stop and eat. And it was thirty five minutes. I was like, You gotta be fucking kidding me. <laughs> and then when I stopped it, I just turned off the TV to like take a break and eat lunch later and I turned it back on. I was like, I got half of this fucking movie left. So you know. I'm glad people are getting paid and making money. And I'm glad people are going to the movie theater. I just wish it was for things that like were good and mattered. But hey, get some pretty sweet dinosaur action. Omar Sai's getting a paycheck. I'm happy. I'm sleeping well tonight. I, I do want to know like how you end up with this. Like how, how you end up with this movie. How do you uh how do you arrive at this version, at this story, and decide that this is the best way to to execute the next Jurassic World movie because you're right, like the and I wasn't kidding. Like I think that a lot of the appeal of the first Jurassic World is that it's just so easy to 
to grasp what's going on. You know, it's like, it's this park. It's kind of like the first one, the first Jurassic Park. You know, it's this park and things go wrong and then they have to get out of the park and that's it. You know, that you introduce the characters, you introduce the relationship, and that's it. It was like, you can't really explain what happens in this movie easily and it's just convoluted and it has all this extra stuff and and you really shouldn't have to because it's so easy. It's like, hey, remember those characters from the first movie that were so connected to the idea of, they were there at the beginning when we were first starting to mess with the idea of bringing dinosaurs back in the world. Okay, what are they doing all these years later? How do they feel about this world? You know, because they were there at the beginning. And the movie doesn't do anything with them, you know? It's like fucking clones and locusts and <laughs> just, it's not good. So uh, let's let's score this, Alex. I'm going to give it two stars. And I feel like the, the bad parts would definitely merit a lower score, but I'm a sucker for a white-bearded Alan Grant and <laughs> Haley Sadler not aging and Silver Foxy and Malcolm. Oh, yeah, dude. He's hot as fuck in this. <laughs> oh, man. You can't... I can't give it an F. Like, I can't. A movie that, like, looks this good. And the dinosaurs are cool. Yes, there's a shit ton of CG where there doesn't need to be. And there were some, like, animatronics. There was that little cute one, so you know that's mm-hmm. dope. So because of that, I can't give it an F. If it had bad CG or bad visual effects, I could have easily. So it's got to be a D, but it's it's one of those like see me after class is written on it because it's like <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? Tell your parents we want, we need to have a talk. So a D for me, which is contrast to like the B minus I gave Jurassic World. But hey, again, all of this is. Not pointless because someone literally paid for these thoughts, but all of this is really, um, you know, yelling at a brick wall because this movie already came. It carved out its spot. There will be another Jurassic something or other one day. And just this was uh, wasn't a good one to go out on. Man, I can't imagine like if this if this was your franchise leaving the theater after this, just like, man, what the fuck? (laughs) But hey, man, uh, I'm never going to watch it again. Blind spot covered. Blind spot I didn't know I had. But the positive to take away is that I quite enjoyed Jurassic World and will probably watch it again in my life. And you own it already. I do. I do. <laughs> so, and Omar Sy was on my TV once more. All right, Julio. My God. Jurassic World Dominion. <laughs> From that to... What what is next? What are what are these crazy bastards on Patreon have lined up for us next? Well, coming up next, uh, Stu Willis takes the helm. He's a Chaz's partner in crime, actually. And uh, the thing with Stu, and we'll go into this in the full episode, but he he wanted to do something different, so he demanded we cover. I think it's pronounced La Jeté which is the French short film that inspired 12 Monkeys. And it has a criterion, and it's super fresh. And I said, Stu, I, this, this is a great idea, but I don't know that we can do a full episode on this. <laughs> and, and so I counterproposed. I said, how about we, we do La Jeté, but we also do 12 Monkeys. That way, that's, that's a full meal. And they're related, so it's not like we're you know, going to be overloaded. And, and so he agreed. So coming up next, 
we are going to go with fresh movies, La Jete and 12 Monkeys. We've talked about 12 Monkeys. We brought it up time and again. Alex, you you seem to believe that I have an unhealthy obsession with that movie. And you may be right. I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> when I, One of when your I favorites. It. It, it is. It is. Uh, but I haven't seen it in a long time. And I, I look forward to the rewatch. And I've known about La Jete forever. And so this is a, a good excuse to finally just take care of that and, and see where it all began. I have seen 12 Monkeys before, but I've not seen the short film. So much like Jurassic World, I'm going to dust it off the shelf and fire it up. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, so that that was it for uh, Jurassic World Dominion. Alex, get us out of here. All right. Go ahead and close up shop by getting into perennial plugs. Start off by thanking the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all Festive Years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rodgieser is the man behind our logo, behind all the graphics on our webpage, our patron page, our birch page. And if you have seen that little tomato looking at itself in the mirror, that's Hans's handiwork. You can check out the rest of his work on his webpage, mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. Uh, or you can contact them directly on Twitter at Mildemonios or email him, Mildemonios at hotmail.com. Tell him that you like his art. Tell him that you checked out his zombie novels. He has a whole bunch out there. And of course, he's a podcaster. He has a podcast about Peruvian current affairs called Nación Combi and a podcast about economy called Marginal. Hans, thank you for all your support. LateNightGrin.com continues to march on. Joe and the boys over there bringing you the best and finest in the uh, realm of professional wrestling podcasting. Uh, we'll be on again at the end of this month for the Grin Grappler. I have withdrawn from the current wrestling landscape following my dismay at Cody Rhodes losing, but they will keep you <laughs> up to date on all that you need to know. And when the Grin Grappler shows up, be sure to tune in because I'll be joining the cast there to talk about uh, the wrestler we've chosen. So they support us. We support them. And doing a lot of support for us are our social media team, Coriari, Zoe Perez, Facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime, YouTube.com slash at Contrarian Prime, Instagram at Contrarian Prime, uh, Twitter, of course, is in our bumper. Uh, but they put together videos, images, you know, interactive graphics, what, what it takes to get the job done and enhance and expand our fan base in a way that Julio and I are really not sharp enough to do. So we appreciate the work they do for us. And as always, we appreciate you, our adoring listening public, for tuning in to yet another episode of The Contrarians where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. The summer of 1999.